We've got a fantastic verse tonight, as always. Um, and like, like you know, we've been working our way through the book of John, in John chapter 3. And we're on to what I would probably consider to be the most famous verse in probably, you know, Christianity, modern-day Christianity, John 3.16. And rightfully so, it's a powerful, hard-hitting verse with incredible life that sits behind it, but I think probably not for the reasons that have been traditionally taught, which are right, but in some ways only half the picture. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 3, starting from verse 16, and I'll just read it to us. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. For he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God." For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, can I just have a quick show of hands? Who's heard that verse before? Who's read it? Who's heard it preached on? That's a really good starting point. But like, for, like, like we hear from Jesus, he says, you know, you've, you've, you can answer correctly, you can know the verses, but do you know the eternal life that sits behind the verse? And so I think for, for much of modern day Christianity, this, this one verse has potentially caused a lot of confusion. You know, for God so loved the word, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And for, for much of modern day Christianity, this eternal life has been preached as heaven when you die. But actually the scripture doesn't say that at all. It says that God had a very specific purpose for sending his son, for offering up his son. And he doesn't say that it is that you go to heaven when you die, that you would transition out of death into life. It says that we would have eternal life. So we're going to unpack that this evening, what this eternal life is that Jesus came to give. And I've got a feeling that there'll be some awesome golden nuggets that sit behind this um, for us to dive into. But because I don't know if it's a teacher in me, but I just came across something that I, that I wanted to read out. And normally, you know, we say things like, uh, you know, it's not about the Hebrew or the Greek because we need revelation, right? We would all agree with that. But, but sometimes the Hebrew and the Greek can confirm things and bring to light actually the original intent. You can't know eternal life without revelation, but sometimes, you know, understanding the original language can shed clarity when you're in revelation. So I just want to read this out because this is the Greek translation of eternal life. This is not my opinion. It's not my idea. This is straight from the concordance, the Greek concordance, and it says this. Eternal, and the, and the Greek word is um, ionous, ionous, I think it is. 
eternal and anoyas, life operates simultaneously outside of time, inside of time, and beyond time, i.e., what gives time its everlasting meaning for the believer through faith, yet it is also time-independent. Anoyas does not focus on the future per se, but rather on the quality of the age it relates to. Thus, believers live an eternal life right now. Experiencing this quality of God's life now as, pre- as a present possession. And it says, note the present, text, a present tense of a number of references to eternal life. Interesting, eh? That's from the Greek concordance. It says that eternal life is not about the future per se, but about the quality and the nature of that life, which is both now and future. So we've got some questions to unpack as a panel um, together and to draw out what this eternal life is. So I'll just grab these questions. Just one second. All right. So question number one. Looking at the beginning of John 3.16, I've got here, what motivated God to send his son for us? It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What was it that motivated him to send his son for us? Who, I don't know who wants to, to kick us off. Not much choice, eh? <laughs> Um, everything that God does, he does from himself, and he is love. And, um, and it, it's, it's so interesting if we think of how, how very often we view the Lord, um, and we don't come from that perspective, but it, everything that he, he is, is love. You know, and he is, he has in his heart, has predestined us for fellowship and oneness with him. And, and so it is that heart of love, not, not just that we would be somewhere out there and that he would rescue us from a difficulty that we're in, but we'd still be separate and somewhere out there. The, the intensity of this heart of love for to be one with us and for us to be one with him is is the most profound thing if you just sit there <laughs> um, it's funny I was reading you know over the the last couple of weeks the parable of the two sons and there you've got love absolutely displayed in in every sense and the, the, the desire for oneness and, and the two responses, which are the same response, you know, wanting to go to a distant land, wanting to be separate from, or wanting to be um, working really hard and thinking you're obeying him, but you're not in oneness either. You know, it, it's this desire of the Father constantly to 
pull together and to bring to himself and to bring the family together as well. I, I think, you know, you need to look at the beginning and understand the beginning of God's plan. And so this is where we go because we don't tend to look at the beginning, you know. Um, so in the beginning was eternal life. And eternal life created eternal beings called Adam and Eve. And so they had eternal life with God because they were one with God. And so he has to send his son eternal life to redeem us because we'd left eternal life. We'd, we'd left that union, which is that eternal life of God. And this is where we confuse eternity with eternal life because we think God just sent his son to redeem us back to eternity. No, he sent his son that we could have eternal life because we had that at the beginning. And so this is where this whole reality of communing with God now is eternal life. It's not just... And so it's not just about going to eternity because eternity was never the goal in God's heart. Eternal life was. And God had eternal life with Adam and Eve. So he's getting us back to this original design. Um, hence, he has to send this life to bring back eternal life because he is eternal life. The son is eternal life. And I love that the starting point is a promise. Eh? You know, it's, it's a promise of, of sharing in this life with him, you know, and, and, and to me that's, you know, that, that's so dramatically different where there's love in God's heart for people instead of it being that God had finally realized that people weren't going to perform and he got so annoyed at the lack of ability to do for him that finally he just decided, oh, cool, I guess I'm going to have to send my son to rescue them. Because, do you know what I mean? It's, it's an entirely different thing for him to start from this place of purpose and promise and say, hey, I've, I've actually created you to share this eternal life with me. And I'm gonna, now I'm going to step into your world and redeem you back to my original intention for you from the beginning, hey? And to me, that, that's what love does. It's not a, it's not a, a, second, a secondary plan that he's had to just... I guess I, I really have to because they're just not getting it. You know, it's like his heart from the beginning was for them that he would be prepared to, yeah. to, to do that. Yeah, it's, it's where we need to understand the macro plan of God and not just this little picture that man's fallen in something, he needs to be reconciled and that's it. It's, you know, as you start to have your eyes open to the reality of the kingdom and the true purpose of God for humanity on the earth, then all of a sudden you start to leave that whole mindset of just, I'm just waiting for eternity to actually getting on board with what it is for the purposes of God for my life here, which is going into eternity as well. You know, so your whole Christian reality changes. It shifts. Your whole focus shifts. You're like, oh, wow. And you actually start now getting on board with this dimension of knowing what it is to be an ambassador from another realm, you know. But you've got to go through the process. Otherwise, this is just like hearsay and it's just like abstract. And you're just thinking, no, 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 no. I'm just a little sinner that God needed to send his son to die for, never realizing this, 
that your life is to be hidden in his life and you're to know the mysteries of this reality called the kingdom and not only to know it, you're supposed to be the subjects of it, you know. And so that's true eternal life. It's knowing who he is and everything within him because it's a person, yeah. you know. Um, and this is this challenge for us, isn't it? Because we tend to ask the what rather than the who. Like what is eternal life? Now you have to start with who is eternal life? And you never know the what till you know the who, you know. And so when you understand who is eternal life and where eternal life is to be, then you make the connection between you and him. Rather than what is it, you know, it's who is it. And I think that's the danger of taking this scripture or any scripture and trying to interpret it without revelation, right? Because without a revealed knowledge of eternal life in you, it has to be something other than this living, dynamic life source that's within you because otherwise you don't have it. And so where do you go with that when you're a Bible scholar and you have to bring an interpretation to something that you haven't received? It has to be future, eh? Because either the options, either it's future or you're not living in the reality of what you are predestined for. Do you know what I mean? And if you've built your life on doing good Bible study and Bible teaching, that's a really, you're not prepared to actually engage in that way. Eh? And I think to me, it, you know, like everything that God has done, he's done from love and he's for us. But why is it that the things that God have done for us are the things that frighten us? Do you know what I mean? It's like, Every single thing that he's done in every single way is only for our benefit. And yet it says that when he turned up eternal life in the flesh, that men loved darkness rather than they loved light. And yet the light had come to heal, save, deliver, set them free. Why was he repulsive? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, it, it just, it is, it's, it's absolutely, and, and to me, you know, men love darkness rather than light. What is it? Um, because their deeds were evil. It's like, what is that, eh? You know? And we lack knowledge, don't we? Mm. So a man that lacks knowledge is in fear of true knowledge. A man or a woman who lacks knowledge, you know, when knowledge turns up in the form of a person and challenges your reality, then you're confronted with the reality that your knowledge may not actually be true knowledge and Paul talked about false knowledge and this is this challenge isn't it you know if they'd had the knowledge they wouldn't have killed eternal life that was for them but the whole thing comes back to knowing the like we've said the fullness of the life we've been called for you know it is just so much more and I think I touched on it this morning that God has to rip out everything earthy and earthly within you because he has this other life he wants to form and build called an eternal life, which is Christ. And you have to, once again, take the entirety of the scriptures, not just the ones you like, and start looking at where else it talks about eternal life. And I'll read you one. It says, this is in 1 John 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So the confession of John is he's saying, actually we have this understanding. 
We know what this eternal life is. We know who it is. We know where it is. And this is what challenges us to seek more than just our place in eternity, to seek this life that truly isn't earthly or earthy, you know, and yet that's what we're born into, aren't we? We're all earthy and earthly, and that what has to completely go and be changed. So that scares us because if we don't know what that is, in the future, what's in front of us, that unknown. We, we like to, Earth likes to keep everything nice and controlled. Earth likes to keep everything knowing what's happening, and I know what I'm doing, and I've got my to-do list, and I check it all off, and I, that helps me stay in control. But that's not eternal. And so that counteracts this reality and keeps us out of this eternal life. When you say life, do you mean this life or the eternal life? Yeah, it's a person. So eternal life is a person, and you can know the person. So you can know him intimately. So I know Jesus Christ to a measure through revelation intimately. I know what's contained within him. So I can know this life. I can know eternal life because it's not a life outside of the person. It's the person. So we don't go looking outside of anything but the person, but we do. And as soon as we do that, you've just gone down a dark road because there is no life outside of the person. So then it challenges you as to how well you actually know the person. And that's what he brings you back to. Do you know me? And we know all about, but do you know me through revelation? But this life is powerful. This life binds us, doesn't it? So this natural life I'm talking about now Jesus said, why are you worrying about this life? Like, is not life more than food? Is not eternal life more than clothing? Like, what are you talking about? Because you're addressing the core essentials that every human being needs to live this life. He said, yeah, but life is not about that. Like, why are you worried about your body? What you're going to wear? Like, why do you consume your things with these things, my people? Because you don't have a knowledge of something greater than your natural life. And so you'll be found focusing on what you know. And I think to me, this is why he says, you know, um, 
Do not work for food which perishes, but food that endures to eternal life. Hey? And either he's talking about a big feast in heaven, which is that really the ultimate promise of God? Do you know what I mean? Like, or maybe he's talking about living mana now that actually feeds us and forms this eternal substance of Christ in us that we can live from. Eh? You know, so he's saying, don't don't work for you know, natural, normal earth things. Make the greatest priority of your heart and your life this, you know, entering into this eternal life that's in Christ, hey, you know? Because he says he'll provide those things, yeah? So he says, you know, don't worry about the core essentials. I will give you those if you seek this eternal life, me. See, it's a wrestle for sovereignty, isn't it? He's going, I know you need these things. Remember he says this, hey, like the Gentiles, I know Gentiles, Gentiles. <laughs> I know you need these things because you need them to survive in this life. Like you have to eat food and drink water and have clothing, otherwise you will die. So I know you need them, but don't seek them. Seek me as your source. And so you'll have both, but you can seek those and not have eternal life. And this is why you find those Christians that are waiting for eternity. So they think eternal life is when they get to eternity. Eternal life is now, as Sam says. So you don't want to get robbed of something. And when you realize you, got, you could have had it now. Oh my goodness, you mean I could have lived an eternal life and overcame on earth rather than survive life? Being bashed around by the winds and the waves and everything that's happening? Yeah, you could have but you actually were focused on the core essentials. Go straight to the jugular, eh? It's so, um, <clears throat> that, that verse in John 17, which says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And it's, as soon as we separate eternal life from the person, we, like they've, everyone's been saying, we literally um, are completely missing it, completely missing what it's all about. It's like we're going for the, the fruit of something, but trying to separate those two things. It's like because he is, in him is all of life, and you can't have the things of God without having him. It, it's funny, before I, before the, the Lord did a work in me to even get me to realize he existed, I was asking, can I become a Christian without <laughs> believing in God? <laughs> Literally. That's what the flesh does. It's wanting the things that it sees. I loved the fruit. I saw the fruit. I saw the fruit of integrity, of honesty, of trustworthiness, um, of, of love. I saw all those things, but I didn't, in my heart, I didn't believe in God because I was so full of pride and I, so full of human thinking. And the Lord had to smash that completely to actually get me to a point where 
I screamed out, Lord, if you are there, show yourself to me. And it was like, sure thing, I've been waiting for that, you know? But it's like, it, this is the thing that the flesh wants. It wants the things of God without him. And he, he will not do that for our sake. Because why would he do that? It's just like, that sets us up for a fail. We're going after the things of God without him. That's why he says, come to me. Come to me. <laughs> Don't come to the, the things that you want from me. Come to me and learn from me. Because without me, you, you can't actually know any of this stuff because it all flows from intimacy and abiding and knowing knowing me within you because I'm actually wanting to possess you your life is not your own and 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 that oneness with me is is the fulfillment of everything that I've always known but you have had no reference point for so I'm speaking and you don't understand but will you trust me that I I have the, the, the words of eternal life. I have the words that are speaking of a reality that is for you, has always been for you, and you, don't, you can't understand it in your head. I, 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 love, I love what you're saying, you know, about the things of God as opposed to God himself, and it can manifest in so many different ways. You know, even like the things that are... Uh, you know, being part of a, a church family, you know, it's like there's so many things that that provides, a sense of security and connection, being part of a discipleship, all of those kind of things, you know, and, and they're all right and good and he has them for us, but it, they were never supposed to be the things in and of themselves, eh? but something that would be an expression of being in him, you know, and I think it can be the same for that, it can be even... I just think about like marriage, you know, it can be so easy to enter into marriage for the things of marriage as opposed to the purpose of marriage, you know, and so in every environment, it's, in the, it's, it's about him in a day, you know. So. I'll ask as a question, do you think you can lay hands on a sick person, see them heal but not know eternal life? So then you can do things without knowing eternal life. And that's how you leave eternal life. Now, when I say eternal life, I mean Jesus. Because you can operate with a gift, with a name, but have no idea who eternal life is and have no idea what it is to have eternal life in you, but still be used by God, even rightly used by God. So go lay hands on Chris and believe for healing but still actually not know who God is. That's a bit of a thought, isn't it? Um, and so we have to be fully aware of the entirety of this because that happens a lot because an eternal life has an eternal nature. And what would be the first characteristic of the nature of eternal life? And so the purpose of love is to what? Love. Who? God. With all. And then what? 
love one another as God loves you. So there's a reference for whether you've got eternal life. And it just reminds me of John 3.16. It says, like, for God so loved that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And you see the pattern, eh? God loved. And so as an expression of love, he gives his son. To, and, and it says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains or abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, you know? And so you see here the seed being sown of who he is as a single seed that needs to die to bring forth many seeds, eh, of the same DNA and the same nature of the one who's the father, which is love, right? You know, and this is the gospel, you know? And it brings a whole new light to forgiveness of sin in heaven when you die. It's actually about, you know, that in the way that, he was, we would follow. So, and it comes back to what we were looking at this morning. You know, it's like, if for us, there needs to be a process that we enter into. And that, well, I think process is probably the wrong word. Is, is it, there needs to be an event that takes place where there's a death that brings about new life, hey? You know, and the new life is this eternal life. It's the indestructible life. It's the life that the father lived from the same heartbeat that motivated him to send his son, eh, you know? And so it's this powerful, indestructible life in Christ that's to be in us. Like, we're just teaching the same thing, just differently. I hope you've figured that out. <laughs> like, all, lead, all roads lead back to who? Jesus, you know? And so don't think this is any different to this morning. Don't think this is any different to five years ago when we were talking. We're just saying the same thing, just a whole lot of different ways, you know. So Romans 8, 28 to 31, says, For all those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into eternal life, the image of the Son. The Son is eternal life. So you've all, we've all been predestined to be conformed with eternal life, the Son in us. That's all we're saying here, over and over and over, but it has to happen in you. So unless it's happening in you, it's not happening. And that's why we've got to keep speaking it till the Word finds its mark and starts to perform itself in our hearts and our minds so that eternal life starts to be produced within us. I want to read you this. Once again, this is in 1 John. If you want to have a look at eternal life, go to 1 John. He talks about it all the time, okay? Because he's just talking about Christ. So 1 John 5.11, he says, And the testimony is this. Not the teaching. My testimony, what I'm about to testify is this, that God has given us eternal life, His Son, okay? And this life is in his son. He is the life and the life is in the son. So when we're in the son, what do we have? Eternal life. Because the son is in, eternal life is in the son. He who has the son has the life. What life? Eternal life because you have Christ in you. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory, eternal life in you, you have this eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Very clear. So, in theory, every follower that has the Spirit of God living in them has eternal life. But that life's got to grow because Christ in you has to be formed. Didn't Paul say, I'm in labor again until eternal life is formed in you? Christ is formed in you? So there's a formational work that has to happen within the heart and the mind of God's people. So you have the potential for the fullness and overflowingness of an eternal life now. But all it is is Christ in you. On the revelation of my son, I build my church. All these things are just saying the same thing. I'm striving to bring you into a completeness in Christ. I have jealous for you with a godly jealousy to present you as a pure virgin before who? Christ, the eternal life, because eternal life is going to marry eternal life. Don't confuse it. Don't think it's separate from any other things. It's all one and the same thing, but he uses different words to describe the same reality. It's profoundly simple, guys. And I shared this at the prayer meeting. Complexity is the enemy of simplicity. And we complicate it because we try to understand it here instead of receiving it here, and it stays simple. And you start seeing, oh, this is the same pattern everywhere. Oh, it's just a different book, but it's the same wording. Oh, it's even a different author, but they're all writing the same thing because they're all in eternal life. And he says what we had from the beginning, what we saw, what we heard, manifested in and through us and to us. And so we now have fellowship with eternal life, the Christ. And then we invite you to have eternal life fellowship with us. See, they didn't have it. Because some people haven't yet gone through the process of it being formed in. And so we all have the opportunity and the potential for an eternal life now. But that's just the same as the fruit of the Spirit. That's what an eternal life is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the nature of Christ. Along with the Beatitudes. Because you're humble, you're not proud. So it's a substance, it's the person, it's the being. It's Jesus. And he wants to build himself within us. Which I guess the question is, how does he do that? That's my question to you guys. I was going to say, it just sounds way too simple, right? You know? Surely the Bible is not all saying the same thing. You know? So the question is, um, how does he build, how is Christ formed in us? So, uh, so to me, uh, like, He's formed in us through revelation, not, not revelation in terms of a, a new thought or new idea, but revelation, the unveiling of who he is in us, that, that um, you know, the, the seed and the substance of who he is inside of us grows and, um, you know, what starts small takes full possession, you know, and I think to me there's some like parables of, of Jesus and he compares it to leaven, you know, and he says, um, or 
you know, and, and he says, you know, like one, it's one speck of leaven that leavens the whole lump. You know, that's the, that's the kingdom life. It starts small, but it's to dominate every area and every part of you so that what started as a seed, and he uses the next parable as the, as the mustard seed, eh? and it starts as a seed and it becomes this full-blown, full-growing tree that all the birds of the air come and rest in. So to me, it's like... Um, you know, what does it mean to have Christ formed in us? It's, the, you know, when his life deposited in us grows in us. So it says, um, you know, he must increase, we must decrease. It's not about decreasing yourself. It's about the reality of who he is growing in you that takes over every part. So when you previously, you know, oh, you know no, stop there. That, that's the starting starting point. I think that the amazing thing about eternal life is that the nature is increase, isn't it? That is what the kingdom does. It goes from glory to glory and strength to strength, life to life, faith to faith. And everything of earth does exactly the opposite. So love starts, you know, (laughs) this is the kind of standard Love starts like really hot, you know, and then diminishes over life. Over, really hot, you know. When that, that hey, seems to be, but in Christ, <laughs> it's exactly the, the opposite. Best of both worlds there, yeah. Who's keeping this guy in check? Hey, eh? that's strike one, mate. That's strike one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's the bananas, the banana shirt, eh? Hey, I'm a bit crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but. I mean, it's the, the reality of atrophy, you know? Atrophy is the, the wearing down and the decreasing and everything de- degenerating. And, I mean, we are in flesh bodies and my flesh body is not as strong as it used to be 20 years ago. That's just a natural thing. But in, in the, the eternal life is growing and growing and growing and it's strength to strength and multiplies and becomes, like you said, the, this tree that then fills everything. And to me, that's a very clear marker of what is born of God and what is still of earth because cause one is, is just, it, it, it might appear to be staying the same, but even staying the same has not got the marker of eternal life because the marker of eternal life is, is constantly increasing. And um, I, just, I just love that everything about the Lord is, is of that nature, that it increases in strength, in glory, in, in life, in understanding, in, in true knowledge, in ability to live, in overcoming all of that stuff is increasing and increasing and increasing whereas the things of earth do exactly the opposite and and who i mean does anyone here not want the one that increases do you know what i mean like then what is it that we're losing the one that diminishes like is it a, a great loss i don't think so so I, I guess to the, to me the question I I feel like in this there's the 
what the kingdom life does in us. But what happens if we don't, like, what happens if there isn't growth? Do you know what I mean? Like, is it possible to have eternal life sitting in you and not see and experience that, that increase that the, that the scriptures prophesy about, you know? Yes. I think so. I'm not going to confuse it. Mm. Yes. I think one of the keys of that is the operating system. Because, as you touched on, how does he form and build his church through the revelation of Christ? So if we're not receiving, like, through revelation by the Spirit, then then we can be in an old operating system where we're trying to come into life through understanding. And that is where we end up going round and round and round and round the same mountain and and not overcoming flesh things or anything like that because and it's like a carrot that's held out there. If I just try a little harder and the carrot is always moving a little bit further away because it, it's outside of us, whereas eternal life is a person inside of us and it actually... It is about letting go and relinquishing and surrendering rather than the, the keeping on trying. It's actually coming to the end of keeping on trying and coming to the end of that self-function-oriented um, and being confronted with Christ and his way. Um, in that, so what if somebody um, doesn't necessarily see that that is the reality that they're in? So they're, they're not, they don't actually realise that what is happening in them is they're not growing in eternal life, but they don't actually see that. So... Then what? <laughs> God so loved. I mean, all I can say is that in when when I was in that cycle of doing that, God so loved. And and God so loved me to take me to the end so that I would see. There's all, there's nothing we can do to open their eyes. But he may say to you, I want you to go and have a conversation with that person. And that's the only reason you would go and have a conversation with that person, because the Holy Spirit has asked you to have a conversation with that person. Outside of that, you leave them to him. Yeah. But this is this word that I don't have that I mentioned last year, that when you're blind, it's even worse than blind. You know, is that you actually are convinced you're in something, but you're not. Your life doesn't demonstrate what you think you're in, but somehow even that doesn't actually alarm you to the fact that you're not. And you're not intentionally trying to not. You actually believe you're in something, but you're not. And only the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of that person. And so prayer is ultimately the key and intercession, and on our knees, and believing, and speaking forth the word that on a given day, you would hope 
and hope all things that that could be the day that the breaking happens in the person or in yourself, you know. Um, that happens a lot. Um, because our inability to live something is the evidence of a lack of growth. So if we're not noticing a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, if we're not noticing that we're actually seeing and understanding, if we're not actually growing, then that probably is our position. Because as Sandra said, the kingdom multiplies. It doesn't go up in ones, it goes up in multiplication. And the reason I asked you about how this eternal life is birthed is because it's the receiving of the word. But once again, who's the word? You see, and the challenge is, and this is the challenge, is until you've entered into what I call the posture of oneness, you're actually in two-ness. And you hear everything through a duality, and then you run off trying to come into something, but you've actually, you're never going to. Because until you've entered into oneness, everything will confuse you. So if I start talking about the Father, Son, the Spirit now, and you're actually not in oneness, I'll confuse you. Because I've heard people say this, I've got a better relationship with Jesus than I do the Father. Um, I know the Holy Spirit more than I know Jesus. But they're one and the same person. They're an expression of one. But when you're not in one, you can't see the three or the five, or the, you see multiple and see, that's that breaking down thing. So you're trying, I need that, and I need that, and I need that. And you're about the ands and the buts. That's actually flesh. And so what we have to do is we have to be brought into oneness before any of this actually becomes simple. And that's why when someone of oneness speaks to someone in two, it's mass confusion. Or you never hear. Oh, you said red. I said blue. No, you said no. I said blue. And this is part of the, the challenge of this whole thing, you know, and it says in, the, in the, the Thessalonians, they heard, received, accepted, and believed the word that came out of the mouth of a person, and that word performed its work in them. So then they're able to imitate the word that they've just received. So what this really does, it challenges the operating system that man and the institutional model has been established on. And it just highlights it for what it really is. And what that's supposed to do is bring us all down to a place of the first beatitude, which is poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And so if we're not going from strength to strength, that is an issue because the kingdom does. Eternal life does, see? It's absolute. This is full of absolutes, and that's what threatens us as we go, well, I'm not in that. And so instead of going, I know I'm loved, could God send his son to love me, to bring me into the fullness of life in the beginning, not just eternity? I'm, I can look at that through the lens of love and not be afraid. But when you don't have love, you look at that and you have the lens of fear. 
then you try to justify it away. You go, oh, oh, uh, oh, hide, deflect, run away from. You do everything but stand there and let that pierce you because ultimately your lens is fear, not love. And that's a real issue in the body. But it comes back to this receiving. So even what I just said then about Jesus being the word, and yet they heard the word of God. So did they receive what the person said, or did they receive the person? Both. Because you can't separate the words of Christ from the word. Is that because it's him? So when he speaks, it's him. So his words are the word, and the word speaks the word. So the scriptures are Jesus in print. And Jesus explained about himself from the scriptures. So they're one and the same thing. But many people don't think that. They think they're two separate things. Because we're in the position of two. But it's not. That's why Paul, Peter looked and said, you have the words of eternal life because you are eternal life. And we're trying to go, well, I've got Jesus and now I need eternal life or I need the words. No, if you've got Jesus, you've got Jesus and you need more of Jesus. That's right. And your head goes, what on earth is that Simnor saying? That's why it's not here. Your spirit has to hear what I just said because I know that's the word of the Lord, what I just said. And when that hits your spirit and then the spirit renews your mind, you're like, oh, now that word will perform a work in you like it did the Thessalonians. And now you're able to imitate the churches that were following and imitating Paul. That's why it's not a copy. But see, we want to do everything fleshly. So we try to copy. We try to learn formulas, ways, instead of just knowing the person. And so it really is in the simplicity of knowing him. But that's way too simple for a church that already thinks it knows him but can't live as him. And so that's that process of formation. Do you know, it's like as a child, I used to think like a child, a reason like a child, I acted like a child. Now I've received the substance of eternal life called the person. But to the measure of the revelation is to the measure of the maturity. So if I only receive Christ in a tiny mustard seed form, then that needs to grow into the fullness of this kingdom. The king of that kingdom needs to be expanded into me. And the Bible says that as I hunger and thirst for righteousness, he goes, how much do you want? Because I haven't given my spirit without limit. So you determine how quickly this is going to happen. You determine through your hunger and your thirst and your posturing and leaving that life behind because you're after an eternal life because you start seeing the end from the beginning and everything the middle. And see, we love to quote that scripture out of Philippians, you know, for God started a good work, he'll finish it. And we say it as if it's just going to happen. <laughs> well, the day you got saved to now, how much real growth has happened because it's easy to say all that and nothing can happen. Because you take yourself out of the process of what it actually is because it doesn't just happen because it's written there in Philippians. It says, in view of my participation in the gospel, he does this work. So you can actually have received it one day and that's all you've ever received is just going to eternity but have no concept 
of eternal life, Christ really in you, even though he's lying dormant. I hope that helps. And I think to me, like, that's, that's the beautiful tension between being, you know, we talk about this kingdom life that's ever-expanding, ever-increasing, and, and yet that's only one side of a two-part story, right? Like, the kingdom is ever-expanding and ever-increasing, but then it says that, you know, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men lay hold of it. You know, it's like while the kingdom can be increasing, the, you know, we need, to, we need to lay hold of that kingdom life and, and, you know, participate in that process if that's to take place in us. Eh? You know, it's like otherwise it's almost like a train that's going and can pass you by and you're not on it. Do you know what I mean? It's like you see the two-part the two you know, it's an organic, intrinsic life, and it talks about the, you know, how it grows, no one knows. You know what I mean? It's got a life of its own. You know what I mean? It's the kingdom dynamic life that isn't d- dependent on your ability to enhance it or manipulate it or push it along, and yet you can still be outside of it having not eaten, drank it, participated, engaged in it. Do you see, do you see the... The Absolutely. two things that are absent, that are actually one position, right? Yeah. You know, and so we need to find that position yeah. of him. Yeah. We were talking in um, our discussion group um, this morning. You have to rock up a, a bit closer, mate. About how Christ has laid hold of us, but unless Sam lays hold of me and comes, you know, like. Say so, so you, you've you you're Christ laid hold of, so I could be like looking over here, and he's eyeballing me, but I'm not eyeballing him because I still think the way to come into him is this way. So until all that has 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 died, and I'm laying hold, and we're locking eyes. And that is all that fills my vision, and that is he is now the center of my being, then that's where the life is, and that's where the growth is in that oneness. Does that make sense? And I think to me, this is like the beautiful unity of the gospel, and it makes me makes me think of the ten lepers, you know, and, and all of the times that God reached in and saved people, you know, and you know. Ten were physically healed, but only one turned, and it says that there was only one that was made well. You know what I mean? It's like you see God's saving power time and time again with the Israelites and the miracles, and it is his outstretched arm to to save and heal and deliver, and yet he's in all of that, he's looking for something to happen in us that that we turn, you know? So the challenge is, you've got to have... You've got to have an eye on now and an eye in the future, okay? But you've got to be aware there's more than just earth, yeah? And yet this eternal life defines this earth. I was having a conversation the other night. And I was sharing, it's funny, I'm writing my, this third book's called Eternal Life Now. And so this is right on top for me right now because Father's just pouring this out of me, you know? And basically sort of writing, who is eternal life um, what, are the, what is the nature and the characteristics of eternal life? How does one come into this eternal life? And then what is one able to live from having this eternal life? You know, um, And 
you know, we talked about four people not hearing, and as I was sharing with this person, their interpretation was like, you haven't heard anything. Like, what's coming out of your mouth has nothing to do with what I just said. But the person genuinely thinks we're having a, a conversation that's the same. You know, and this is this challenge because this life isn't formed by just hearing God say, go and give Sarah 10 bucks. That's, that's not hearing the word that builds this eternal life. That's hearing the word. That's hearing his eternal voice, but that's not going to build anything in me. So that, that voice is for function. Okay? What we're talking about is a word which is for the fellowship, the building of the formational life of Christ in you where the word dwells richly within you. So what Sam was describing was the kingdom parable of the sower of the seed. Okay, now, the Bible clearly says the power is all in the seed. The seed is the word. Now, once again, who's the word? Christ. So when a man or a woman speaks, they should be speaking Christ, the seed. So Christ is the power of God. The power is in the Christ, the eternal life, the seed. And it's the seed with the power in it called the word, which if it hits the heart that's fertile, boom, there is life. But that heart must now understand. So then the mind must be renewed. It's not just the heart hears the word, gets excited. It must then renew the mind so the mind understands what the heart received. That is the one that has 30, 60, 100-fold fruit of eternal life. So there's four categories within that kingdom, and the seed is the kingdom seed. It's not Jesus came and died for your sin seed. It's the parable, sorry, it's the message of the kingdom of God. Okay, so this is where we get confused, eternity and eternal life. Okay, two different messages. And so this, as you go from, right, I enter into this reality, my, etern- my eternity is sorted. Now I need the eternal life being formed in me. Okay? And then one day they'll marry themselves and I'll live from an eternal life and eternity. But you can see there are four hearts in that parable. There's a hard heart where the sea goes out and bing, that will happen, even though the person is actually on a process, they couldn't hear anything I said. They literally missed it. Okay? And so we're like, why are you talking about netball? I'm talking about Liverpool. No, you were talking about what we're talking about. No, we're having completely different conversations, you know? And then you speak, and then there's a burning on the inside. Weren't our hearts burning when he was explaining himself, not the scriptures? himself from the scriptures that's one the same thing though there's another one who gets excited for a bit but then they go in life and life takes over yeah so you get excited for about three weeks ah that was amazing what is an amazing three weeks ago but now we're three weeks on and life is all consuming and that was a kickstart but now i'm back to normality because that seed now is dead because I never got understanding. But the one who hears and gets understanding has fruit. Fruit of what? Like, is that talking about works? No. It's talking about hearing 
the word. So now we're talking about the fruit of Christ, the eternal life, 30, 60, 100 fold to the seed. Like how do you get 100 off one? Because the kingdom multiplies itself. How do you get 30 off one? Because the kingdom multiplies itself. Because this is showing you what the word of God is, not your version of something through trying to enter into something that you can't. Which really creates this... Mm. If you're still trying, oh, thank you, Lord, man. And the purpose of it, it's supposed to take the knees off of the church. But, mate, we've created our own theology schools. We've created our own this to the point where some people don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. Some people believe in the gifts. Some people don't believe in the gifts. Some people think he's coming three times over again. Like, I don't know. This is what I How do these things exist? As a non-Christian, this was the thing I asked. Like, why, why are there these denominations? Because I've got no reference for this stuff. Like it, but it didn't make sense as a non-Christian. But we sort of go along with it as Christians. Oh, well, you know, it's okay. Just love on one another. It's false love. We don't want to hurt anybody, so we don't ask those silly questions. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. We'll have unity. What a load of rubbish. That's called conformity because we want to be peacekeepers, not peacemakers. And so this dimension exists, eh? And so, you know, this eternal life, if he says, I give you fresh mana daily, and you're eating, like, we're all grown up, haven't we? We've grown out of nappies, grown out of your clothes. So how are we doing in the spiritual you know, if I'm turning up here in nappies and I'm 51 years old, that's a bit of a worry. So you see in the natural growth, it's the same in the spirit. So if we're not growing, we're not growing. And that's okay, but you've got to recognize it and turn and start getting on your knees and crying out for heaven to come. And, you know, Jesus says of the parable of the seed and the sower, he says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all of the parables? You know what I mean? Because the, the DNA of this parable unlocks everything else. Unless we receive the word, which is Christ in us, and it's him doing this multiplication work in us, there's no way you'll understand any other parable in the Bible because you'll misinterpret it as something that it's not thinking that you need to find, like Sandra was saying before, your own way in to try and grapple with different ideas, which is the two gospel and not receiving him in you. Hey, you know? And so, man, if, there's, if, there's, if he says, if you don't understand this, how, do, how will you understand anything else? Maybe that's a good starting point to ask him and seek him for revelation on, on what it means to actually receive this word in us, eh? you know? Darkness in people's lives that keeps them from knowing anything other than that. 
other than darkness. They're in darkness and they've got they've got to be delivered out of it or something because they can't get out of it themselves or something. So to me, I look at it as when, when it comes to anything that's life, it's always to me there's a problem with darkness. Darkness is sin, and the sin that is holding the darkness is sin that is holding the darkness. So, so if you um, if you have a sense of darkness, where would you go? Because because that's what it was saying in the scripture. We we're, we're talking about it, eh? Um, so so everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in, in God. And it's the, the reality is that Christ is the only light that's going to show and reveal what we don't know. And, and the reality is we don't know what we don't know, but it's not, it, in my experience, if I look at what I don't know, I never turn to the light. But if I, if I, what I know of Christ, what he has already revealed of himself to me, is enough to make me turn to him. So that he would do the light work that needs to be done. So that I'm no longer looking at the darkness, I've actually turned to him, which is what he keeps on saying, come to me. It is the, it is the one call that we're getting constantly come to me and that's the beautiful thing that the the light because he is light and he is love and he is in the exposing is not making us ashamed he is actually taking us out of what we can't take ourselves out of and bringing us into him you know and into his the perfection that he is and there is nothing to fear in his love. So it's that coming coming and opening up that we come to him to to do what he needs to do within us. And he says, you know, if your if your eyes single, your whole body is filled with light. Hey, you know, and I think to me that what you're talking about in, in the sense that it's to to um you know to have a single eye which is single hearted, you know, towards him your whole body is filled with light. You know what I mean? It's like the, at the revelation of who he is ex- expels the darkness that's, that's in us, you know? And so it's, it's him, and turning to him. Do we have any, any questions or comments? What what comes out of me should be him. Yeah. And so like I said to you, I will not speak of things that have not been revealed. 
So I don't speak the scriptures, I speak him. Yeah? And so that's what it's to be for us all. It's that you don't go beyond what he's... I was just reading this before. I'll, I'll see if I can find this passage. It's phenomenal. Um, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. So I'm not going to go beyond the boundaries of the revelation I carry. And so that becomes the jurisdiction which I operate in, is the revelation of my faith. And so that way, what comes out is him. Okay, Not my good ideas, not what I think. I'm not interested in what I think. You know, I'm not going to tell you what I think. And that's why we shouldn't be going, well, I think, I think this, I think that. It's like, no, the language is, I know this. Okay? I feel, no, you know, either word that, you know. But if we're going to speak, it's this is what I know is him. If it's not that in you, then you go, I'm not sure. I'm on a journey. And I feel he's showing these things but I can't say it's him. So the confidence that we are to have is this is what I know because that's the word that we all need. Okay? I'm not saying the other thing's wrong, but you have to be very careful that you don't, you know, it's this is what I know because we don't need to hear what I feel or think and I don't need to hear what you feel or think. We actually need him. So give me the revelation of him because he has shown you him. That's what has life on it. Nothing else. That's the word. Okay? And so that's what's to come out. And that's why Paul said, I won't presume to speak of anything that he hasn't done through me because it will then results in obedience of the Gentile. For those who can hear it, it will result in obedience because it is the word. Hence the one that came to the Thessalonians and spoke and they went, that's the word of the Lord. They believed it, received it, bang. So you can see the kingdom parable outworking there. And now you're able to live. Because none of us can live that out without receiving the word. But we try, don't we? See, this is what we're taught. We're taught learn to apply, not receive to become. And in the receiving to become, you will live. It's so subtle, guys, like it's so subtle. One's so innate, you know, and the other one's like in this two-part picture thing. And so that really challenges us in a way that's actually, this is in him, this is in the spirit, and I'm flesh, and I need to actually be in him, and he needs to abide in me, which means I need to have died to my will like I preached this morning through power. I need to be separated from the root that's feeding this system and actually enter into a brand new root system through power, so now I can actually, John 15, abide as a branch and actually have fruit produced in and through me. Not because I'm trying, but I just stay connected. But that's all a work of power. That's not a work of my mental application. <laughs> oh, I believe that to be true all here. That's a work of power of the Holy Spirit because I can't. Like I never qualify from being dependent in him. You never, you never get past being dependent, having your dependency on him to do the work. 
But that doesn't mean you're sitting with your feet up, drinking pina colada on the beach, waiting for God to do something. You're partnering with the Spirit and moving as He says move and just waiting in a holy waiting for Him to perform. So when the one who's come with the Word, man, you're like this. You're not like sitting back. You're like on the edge of your seat, man. Come on. Come on. I'm waiting for the Word that's coming out of your mouth, out of your spirit. My spirit's waiting for the Word coming out of your spirit. And Lord, I want to hear it. So Holy Spirit's hovering like this, going, I hope the speaker's got the Word of the Lord. I hope the speaker's got the Word. Give me something to work with. Because I can see the one's waiting. He's waiting to receive it. Oh. The one who spoke got their version of what they thought. That does not mean that God can't do what God does, but he wants to work with us, yeah? So that goes like this. The one who's speaking brings the word of the Lord. The one who's receiving is waiting to receive the word of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit's hovering to activate the Father's word. Now let's go right back to Genesis, because that's where it started. But the word that we speak doesn't come from the seen realm. Hebrews 11.3. It comes from the unseen realm. But if you're of the seen realm, I don't understand that. No, because you're never going to understand that because you're trying to understand that in your mind. Please stop. But that's all I know how to do. I know. That's why you're not changing. You need to die to that. But that's all I know how to do. I know. So you got to get crucified, yeah? Question. I just wanted to share a scripture that I, um, if that's right, uh, had on my heart this t- tonight. Um, God showed me this in the week, and when he showed it, I was mesmerized by it, but didn't really know where it landed with me. And so I've been asking him about it, but tonight I feel like it's really just you know, put it into place. Um, It's 1 Corinthians 2 about spiritual wisdom, and it says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Because as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God, like you're saying tonight, Sandra. That we can't know the thing, we can't seek to know the things of God without actually knowing God. And it says, Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Like how you're saying, He's He's so present, He's looking us right in the eye, but we can so easily turn aside and go, I want to desire this way out of the things that I know, the things I've grown up with. And it says, These things. We also speak not in words which, is, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. 
for who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I just love that because it just invites us into a realm that isn't of this earth. And I was just like, what is that? Like, it just kind of like opened up like this mysterious, like, like Disney world. Like, what could it be? What could it look like? And I love, Greg, that you just, it was it's so simple. It's not like this big world that we, that we don't know about. In fact, we have Christ as our example, that, that this crazy, deep calling unto deep things of God, mysterious, was lived out by Christ. And it was demonstrated by the fruit of the Spirit that is actually impossible to achieve in our own ability or capacity. And so it's so cool because it's this drawing into deep, under deep. And I'm like, what are the deep things of God, the mysterious Lord? Like, show me, show me. And then it's like, it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. I can't learn it by, by understanding words, but only by coming to him and learning from him and sitting with him and looking him in the eye, you know, like when he, he's always, he's always looking us in the eye and he's so eager to come and, and hold our face and just be one with us and it's just like, yeah, it's cool, it's awesome. So thanks heaps for tonight. So from, from what Sarah has just said, It says the mature here, which means what? Immature, don't. Why don't the immature here? Paul says, I, come with pers- I don't come anymore with persuasive words. Yeah? So what are the immature doing? Oh, sucking their thumb. <laughs> See, Paul's realized this too. So I no longer come with persuasive words. See, the mind's all about hearing persuasive words. It wants to be tickled. Okay? Well, that is not the way of the kingdom. So what's the way of the kingdom? He says, make sure your faith does not rest on what? Man's wisdom. Man's wisdom is understanding the words that are persuasive. What does he say your faith needs to rest on? The power of God. So faith sees and hears because faith comes by hearing. So the immature loves to hear the persuasive words. And so doesn't understand when the word of God comes which is very simple but full of power because only the mature who have learnt how this whole thing works hear the wisdom. He goes on, he says, otherwise they wouldn't have killed him if they'd known. Okay? So the challenge is, it says, don't rest your faith on your ability to try and understand people what they say. It rests on God's power to bring to light the word. Outside of that, you'll stay immature. You'll constantly be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes, every pressure that's applied on the earth. You won't be able to stand because you're no different to the Israelite that crucified the Christ because they didn't have the wisdom. Because wisdom is not mental understanding. Wisdom is who? Who is eternal life? So we're back to the same scenario again. 
Okay, so right there is an operating system between two wisdoms, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And if you go back another chapter, it tells you in 1 Corinthians 1.24 that the world cannot come to know God through the wisdom of itself. So you can't be a mature follower if you haven't entered through and are entering through this process where it's the power of God bringing to light the kingdom that's freely given. Like it's freely given. He says, I speak of it so you can know it. So why don't you know it? Because you're trying to hear it through you. You need power. In the, in the passage that you read out, it says, you know, who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man that's within him? And he says, even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God, you know? And so to me, it's like that the difficulty and difficulty is probably not even the right word, the impossibility, he's saying, of you being able to enter into Colleen's mind right now and understand what's going on in her world right in this instant. He said, who, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit? You know, In the same way that you can't enter into another person's mind and know their thoughts and know their intentions, he says, in that same way, you cannot enter into God's mind and know God's thoughts through your human intellect. Do you see what I'm saying? The absolute impossibility of it needs to be so, it needs to, I think you said before, bring us to our knees, arrest us, you know what I mean? It says, but we've been given the spirit that's from God so that we might know the thoughts that have been freely the things that have been freely given to us by God, you know? And so what's absolutely impossible through intellectual learning is absolutely possible through revelation of Christ and the Spirit within us, eh? you know? And so to me it's like he's painting the absolute black and white dynamic that you can't through this way. You need to learn a brand new way, in, which is Christ in you, you know? Why has God made it like this? Because otherwise we'd take all the glory. You know, I mean, that, it, that's, that's why we have to be dead. Because otherwise we would take glory for what we know. You know, and it's like, how can men boast before Almighty God? He will not share his glory with anyone Except that <laughs> he he does when we die. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That the, the whole thing is to bring us into his glory, but his way. And but while that thing is living, it um, it will always push itself forward, and God will be God will be secondary, even though it might be full of the words about God. It it the the heart is puffed up before him so if someone steals the glory because that happens yeah and that's why a lot of um male leaders fall you know because they either chase the glory the gold or the girl and those tend to be the three consistent things that get a male leader but if someone's chasing the glory what is that the evidence of You know, to me, ultimately, uh, to me, ultimately, he's looking for those who who love him. You know, and so that is just 
a, a, it's a symptom of a much deeper root, hey? And, and, and I think, you know, in, in all of this, there's a question is, who, who loves me enough to pursue me my way? Do you know what I mean? Um, and, um, I love injustice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, and, and it's the greatest leveler, right? Because he's saying, I'm, I'm not looking who, for those who are the most capable intellectually are those who, not, I'm looking for those who love me, whose hearts are drawn to me and will respond to me in that way. You know? and so, so that's the whole purpose of the entire design. God is looking for who genuinely loves him because he knows those who genuinely love him will pursue him and allow him to do everything he wants to do within them. So you have to, that, you know, that you have to be challenged by that reality. He's looking, he searches to and fro, not for the smartest, not for the bravest, but the one that loves him. And the one that loves him allows him because that's the union he's looking for. And once again, I'm just going to say it. The context of the entire thing is a marriage covenant. And within a marriage covenant, it's about two people who love one another. And he's going, well, do you love me like I love you? Do you love me with all? Or do you have other lovers? See, it's real simple. It's real simple. So that's why it's set up the way it is, you know. Why is it you can operate in a gift and not know him? Because I'm hoping you're going to know me and operate in the gift. But I'm almost going to intentionally set it up that you can actually fall in love and love you and you be the idol of your own life because in that I'm testing you. So I'm going to test you. I'm going to give you everything you have for life and godliness and I'm going to test you to see whether you actually love me. Abraham Isaac's a classic. Why did he get, ask him to sacrifice his son? I'm testing you to see if you love the promise more than the one who gave you it. It's all a test, guys. We're being tested because he's looking. He wants to take his bride into the millennium with him and then into the future where you will minister to him face to face. Wow. But not everyone will be there because not everybody loves him. Because if you love another, you're not worthy. He's a father who loves us unconditionally, but he's looking for a bride for his son. So he wants a, a, a bride for his son. So he's going, who loves me and the son? So just like as a father, I would want someone who's going to marry my daughters to love them. And I'm going to ask those questions of that boy. And I'm going to make sure they love my daughters. Hey, Maddie. <laughs> That's what a good father would do. And a good father would actually tell his daughter the truth about the person or the boy that wants to marry. He doesn't love you, honey. He's got a whole lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes. So there's a good, good father. So the father loves us unconditionally. It's not about his, you know what I mean? It's not about that. But he's actually looking, going, okay. That's why it says test to see if you're in the faith. God allows, he, God is the great allower to test you where you're really at. And that's why he says, but don't measure yourself by yourself. Mm 
you have no understanding if you do that because you, you're always going to give yourself an A. Oh, I'm awesome. You know, oh, I got it all together. You will never, unless you've been broken, do you know what I mean? The pride, pride will always rate itself. It's like Mark, he always thinks Arsenal's going to win the league. You know, they never have, but anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> next year, that's right. So. <laughs> so the father's looking for a bride. And that's why he does what he does. And so he gives us, he's so patient, isn't he? But he wants to put this eternal and for this eternal life because Christ wants to see himself a mature bride. This is this whole thing, isn't it? You know, we just looked at the mature, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. And then you go to chapter 3 and Paul says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. I want to, but I can't. Why? Because you're not mature. You're not learning. You're not growing. You've stayed the same. Even though you've attended services, even though you've been part of a church family, even though you've put money in the bucket, even though you've done things, you're still not spiritually mature because none of those things determine whether you're spiritually mature. It's the eternal life within you that determines whether you're mature. Now, when someone reviles you, do you revile back? So someone who doesn't, that's evidence of a mature follower, yeah? When people lie about you, it's easy to love on people by giving them something to eat. But what about when they spit in your face? What about they lie about you at work? What about they, when they accuse you of doing something? Is there someone greater in you called eternal life? And I'm not saying that behavior is right, and I'm not saying you condone that behavior, and I'm not saying you're a doormat. But what I'm saying is what comes out of you, eternal life or earthly life? So these are some of the things that you need to lay hold of and go, wow, over time, man, I would have ripped that person's head off two years ago. I would have given them what's for. Could have even got physical. Yeah, James and John, can we torch them? Not exactly eternal life, is it? And they're walking with eternal life. Any, any last questions? Otherwise, should we pray? Let's pray. Do you, want to, do you want to pray for us, mate? Yeah, man. Lord, I thank you for every opportunity we get to come and release you, the fragrance of you, into this atmosphere. God, I thank you that you are eternal life and if we know you and we're in you, we have this eternal life. And we ask, Father, Holy Spirit, that you would engrave the word Jesus Christ more and more on our hearts and our minds. Father, not with ink, but with your spirit. God, you say we're a letter that people are reading and that we are to be the manifestation, the expression of who you are. We are to be the image of the Son, eternal life. So, God, I thank you for the endless opportunities that are in you, that when we're in you, every promise is yes and amen, and that to know you is to know this eternal life, to experience it deep on the inside of us, to have rivers of living water flowing forth from within us, Lord. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control to which there is no law and there is no limit to have this eternal life because it's you. 
and you are abundant and overflowing, and you say, if we're in you, you are life, and that life is the light of men. But this earth doesn't understand or comprehend eternal life, but they're drawn to it. And so, God, I pray that we would continue to be found, seeking, asking, knocking, that we would carve out time, and that we would guard time, then we would just give it to you for the purpose of cultivating our own garden, this eternal life within us, Father. So we thank you that you're faithful to perform on your word. We thank you that you do not lie, and you have a hope for us that is an anchor, your son for our soul, for you are hope. And so, Lord, may this be a blessed week in you, and may you reveal many things within us, and may we share with others and look for opportunities to release the fragrance of the knowledge of the Christ we know. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an awesome week, guys.